Okay, good morning. How's it, everybody? Okay, if I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is Dave Oyadamari-chan, and uh, elder here at the church, but also uh, on the speaking team, and just an average guy like you. So um, I am excited this morning. I was praying about getting ready for, uh, for this morning, and um, I'm just really excited because um, uh, we're going to go through the Bible in a, in a way I, I think we haven't done in a while. So sometimes you come to church and uh, we'll, we'll have a, a theme or a message, and then we'll, we'll pull references from the Bible. What we're doing, as Pastor Mark and Max have been talking about, is we're actually going to go through specific stories, and we're just going to go through the Bible. It might take us two years. It might take us more. We're not sure how long it's going to take. But as I was you know, coming in this morning, I felt like God was just telling me, you know what, just share with everybody why you're so excited about going through the Bible. And so that's what I'm going to do this morning, and hope, hopefully you'll, you'll catch my excitement, because when Mark was sharing with Max and I, like, you know, he felt like this is what we're supposed to do, it was just like, we're like, yeah, that's awesome, you know? Um, because the Word of God, we know, never returns empty, right? That's what the Bible says, meaning every time you speak the Word, you read the Word, it just doesn't go, you know? It actually does something. It does something in our soul. It, it really um, means a lot to us. And so... Um, that's what we're going to cover this morning, and uh, hopefully we'll see how long it takes. I don't know how long it's going to take. Uh, this is a whole different, uh, kind of organizing in a different way. So if you would pray with me, um, you know, and we, we, uh, we just want to kind of like want to lift up this, uh, this message to the Lord today. Uh, Heavenly Father God, um, you know, as, as every Sunday, uh, we never want this sermon or message to come from uh, like me, you know, or, or the person speaking, but we want it to come from you, Lord, uh, so that every word that's here, uh, that you would inspire it, uh, that we know that when you do that, it, it, it will reach every single person here in a meaningful way. It'll sow a seed, it might, it might grow something into something mighty, which, which we know it always does. So we invite you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Max, I thought, did an incredible job, yeah, and I don't mean just to butter Max up. I, I personally think that Max has been, like, when Max has been giving a lot of sermons and stuff, it's just been getting better and better, yeah? I mean, he, he's so good, <laughs> yeah? And uh, so I'm really appreciating that about Max. And he, you know, he goes, hey, what is, do you know what Bible means? You know, I was like, I know that the Bible means book, right? Um, and then he told us, like, there were 66 books in the Bible, right? And, and I was like, okay, good, I got to take that down. And there's over 40 authors, right, in the Bible. And, and it also, you know, reminded me that the Bible isn't just this collection of wise sayings, right? Sometimes people, maybe before you're a Christian or your friends who are not Christians, or two, they might think of, like, hey, that's good for you that you go to church and you guys read the Bible. But they think of the Bible as, like, you know, a collection of these uh, Confucius sayings or something, you know, that you, kinda, you can kind of package up the Bible and, like, put it in a piece of paper and, like, cookies or something, you know? But no, it's so much more than that, right? Or it's not like this mystical text that we put in a hermetically sealed case for like, the Bible, you know? It's something you're supposed to live and mark up and highlight it and let it breathe into your life, right? It's the Word of God. I mean, what would it, what, how would your life change if you really embraced what that meant? That the Bible is the Word of God. It's alive and it's relevant to us right here in 2016 as it was thousands of years ago, right? In fact, thousands of year, years ago, they never had this nice bound published edition, right? Yeah, so, but what would it mean in our lives if that was the case? You know, and 
the, the, you know, we've got to know that God inspired every word, every book, how it's organized, right? The stories we're going to go through, right? And it's going to speak exactly to your situation. I can't tell you how many times that I, I talk with friends and, and myself, and we're just like, wow, you know, it, I was just reading the Bible, and it's as if, like, God made me turn to this page, right? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, holy smokes, right? Um, and I'll tell you in some examples, just this past year, in 2015, I think I shared that I went up to Los Angeles to see my Uncle Bruce for the last time. And he was, you know, really, is, he was kind of like maybe a few days away from dying. And I didn't know what to say uh, or do, and I felt like I needed to say something to Auntie. Um, and just when I pulled out my phone and, and my Kindle Bible version was there, 2 Corinthians 5 showed up, and it was the perfect passage to share with, with Auntie and my cousins, right? And I just think like, oh, God, I just... You know, thank you so much that you love me so much. Like, I wasn't reading 2 Corinthians, but there it was. And it was so relevant to that situation. How many times have you read the Bible? Some of you maybe read the Bible uh, almost one time in its entirety. Sometimes, some of you maybe 10 times or more. But how many times have you read the Bible and you read the same passage, but something like pops out? And you're like, like wow, I never saw that before. New insight comes out of there, Right? And, and the Bible is also an instruction guide, right? It, it gives us, like, this instruction about how to li- live a godly life. And, and I think about, like, for those of you who are parents or soon-to-be parents or maybe grandparents, whatever, and I think about Ephesians 6, you know, 1 through 3, and it, it talks about living a godly life and the consequences of not. And it just simply says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, uh, right? Which is the, the, the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And I think about our society today, and when children don't obey their parents, we, we see the consequences. Things run amok, right? It, it, it speaks to how true the Bible is. See, when you look at something and say, is that true? Like if you read the newspaper, you go, is that true? Or, or Wikipedia, is that true, <laughs> Right? What are you doing? You're, you're looking at the accuracy of the outcomes that that text is saying, right? Or you're looking at the accuracy of the claims of that text. And if it's not, you're like, false. So for, for us to, to do that, we've got to look at the Bible and we've got to just look at the accuracy of its claims. And you'll see it is accurate every single time. I mean, we're, we're reaping a lot of the, the, what we're sowing, I think, in our society when we're, we're just not following the Bible. So many times... I'm in conversations, and people are like, well, you know, that stuff is good for you, but I kind of go down this different path, and that's okay for you, and we have this relativistic view, and then we see the consequences of a relativistic view, I think, right? And that's a, that's a topic for a whole nother sermon, right? But that tells you, again, the accuracy of the Bible. It says, hey, when you don't follow God's plan and God's design, bad things are going to happen. So I'm going to give you sort of the 50,000-foot level of of the Bible. So what actually I did for today is I went through pretty much every one of the 66 books in terms of I thought it'd be good to kind of give you a quick synopsis of what each of the books are about, or most of the major books are about, so that you have a context for these next couple of years. And when, when we talk about a story on the given Sunday about the Bible, you can kind of put it in context of what are the common themes, okay? The other thing I want to mention to you folks is when you do this um, and you read the Bible in its entirety, one of the things you're going to see is that 
there's these common themes that are very consistent, Old Testament to New Testament. And if you just read the Bible or you just come on Sundays and you see the passages up there, it's almost as if you're just kind of looking at the Bible like with this, you know, like a telescope or maybe a microscope. And you're just looking at one portion and you're not seeing the bigger picture. And so for you to really get the context and the flavor of God's word, I think you've got to sometimes step back and see the forest through the trees, right? So I'm going to try in the next, you know, whatever, 30 minutes or so to kind of, kind of go at a 50,000 foot so that we can see the trees a little bit. And we can put all the readings that we're going to go through in some context, the themes of the Bible. And then you're going to be like, oh, wow, wow, God, this, these are interesting stuff. You talked about it in Genesis, and then hear it again. It's in Romans, right? And so that's the kind of stuff that I'm going to encourage you that when you, when you are a Christian and you're earnestly seeking Christ, and what is God saying? Read the Bible from beginning to end, right? Read the whole Bible, because it's going to give you a whole new insight than if you just kind of looked at it like, Sunday in, in bite-sized chunks. You're like, okay, that was an interesting passage. I got to remember that one. That's an interesting one. I got to remember. But you got to put it all together and then you're going to see some really powerful themes. Now, who, who wrote the Bible, right? So the Bible, first of all, there are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And there are over 40 authors who, write, who wrote the Bible. But who are these people that God chose to speak his word, write his word, right? So there, were, there was a, a physician, a guy named Luke, Right? And you'll find out, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but the physician Luke, right, he's very historical, very exacting in what he talks about. It's in Luke that we get Luke chapter 2 where we learn all this stuff about Jesus' birth. Right? And there's, lot, there's four Gospels, but it's through Luke we learned out that there was like this manger and it was like no room, right? Thank goodness for Luke, the meticulous historian guy who is like, a physician, so he's kind of scientific, right? He doesn't lead out the details. He's going to go right into it. Moses, right, was a shepherd. And I think, you know, we talked about the shepherds at, at back in then. In those days, like, they weren't, like, kind of high on the uh, societal hierarchy, you know? It was Moses, shepherd guy. Then there was Matthew. He was a tax collector, right? Worked for the IRS, you know? So what does that guy have to teach us, right? God used him, Okay? Then there was a tent maker, Paul, a tent maker, right? The guy who wrote like all these letters in the New Testament. And one of the common themes when you just pause and you think about this is God uses everyday, average, everyday people. He didn't be like, okay, I'm only going to have the kings write the word. Or like the priests are going to write the word. He used everyday people like you and like me. God speaks to everybody. And God told them to write about all kinds of things, right? And that's what we have today. Now, the first five books uh, of the Bible, right, is written by Moses, except for after Moses died, of course, right? Uh, But the first five books, they call it sometimes the Pentateuch, and you you might hear this, which really means like the books, uh, the five books, Penta, right, five, like Pentagon, and when I you know, were to summarize it, and there's lots there, so it's so hard to summarize five books, right? But it starts in Genesis, and you realize, first of all, that we have a creator, right? And we have a creator who uh, all of this heavens and earth came from. 
And we also learned that this creator, a little bit of the character of our creator, is all powerful. He's all loving, right? He was in relationship with people, right? And is. But then there was this, this separation, that there was sin, right? We had people, the first people, and they disobeyed God, right? And we learned that our God is a just God, right? He's not going to let it slide, right? And so there's separation. We learn about people in that we often sometimes just don't make good decisions, right? We don't often obey God, right? And, and there's sin, and, and then we become separated from God the Father because he's holy, and, and so we have this separation. And so in many ways, um, I like to think about it. I think you've heard me say this before. These first five books, you can almost sometimes think of it as like the owner's manual to humanity, I think, Right? Because it kind of tells you how you're wired. It's us as human beings, this is how we're wired. And when we don't obey God, bad things happen, you know? It's kind of like, um, you know, when you're from Hawaii, you guys know this, right? Um, when, you, when you go to the mainland especially or somewhere and you meet for someone from Hawaii, the first question they ask is, hey, what school you went, right? And what people are asking is they're saying, they're trying to find out who you are by where you're from, Right? It's your identity is, is where you're from. And in the same way, I think Genesis is kind of like that too. It's like when, they, when we say, like, hey, where are you from? You gotta, it, it goes all the way back to say, you know, I kind of came from Adam and Eve, you know? And you know the kinds of stuff that Adam and Eve did, right? It, ref, it still reflects in us today, 2016, right? It, it, think about what happened, right? Like serpent goes, ah, you know, if you eat the fruit from the, the, the tree of the God, knowledge of good and evil, no big deal, you know? God, God might think, you know, you, you're going to be like, almost like God, you know, just chance them. And how many times, you know, has that kind of thing happened in your life? Like, ah, it's not that big a deal if I did this. And then later on, you're like, right? We can learn a lot about who we are by where we came from. And that's Genesis, right? That's Genesis. See, humanity is, in many ways to me, and the Genesis outlines this very well, the story about how we bridge the gap between us and God that was first created in that Garden of Eden. We learn that humanity, we're prideful, we're selfish, uh, we sometimes harm each other. First murder recorded in history, Cain and Abel, Right? Brother kills brother, right? And out of like what I, I look at this like kind of jealous, you know, like, ah, get, get rid of the brother, you know? But isn't that too often the case? We, we disobey God. And there are many examples when we do bad things. Bible also starts to tell us in Genesis, just a few chapters in, that it got so bad, people got so disobedient, God was just like, you know what? Wipe out the human race already, right? Get rid of them. Like, but then he finds this guy, Noah, and he goes, okay, Noah, you know what? Maybe you, I'll save you. Why don't you build this boat that's like a football and a half foot uh, long, long to two football fields wide and five stories high, basically. And I want you put your family and your, all these animals in there. And then once he does that, boom, he wipes out the earth, right? Start fresh. And then he, he sends this, this rainbow, which is today, especially in Hawaii, right? We see it all the time. 
It's a reminder of the covenant between God and humans to say, you know what, I'm not going to wipe out the earth again ever with this kind of flood stuff, right? But it tells us how bad it got. It got so bad, God was like, you know what, my creation, they're like driving me nuts, boom, wipe them out, right? Saves Noah, and here we are today. We learn about Abraham, and we learn about how God creates mighty nations through Abraham. We learn about Joseph, right? And this is the one where slave, right? Kind of like beat up by his brothers. Ends up being someone in great authority in Egypt. Second in command only to the Pharaoh. And God uses him to save a lot of lives. And if, again, you look at the themes through the Bible all the time, that's very consistent with God. He uses somebody of really humble character, but who follows and obeys God. He rises them up in authority and he uses them for good and to save lives and to save nations. That's what we see in Joseph. We see uh, God's people, they were enslaved in Egypt, and we see this process of their faith being challenged continually. And they go wandering in the wilderness for like 40 years, right? And they're challenged, and they falter, but God keeps reaching out to them and tries to save them and pull them back closer to him, and then it, I realize, I go, you know what? Isn't that like us today? It isn't, isn't like, so the people, you know, they're, they're, they're walking and they're saying, we're, we're going to the promised land, and they're all thinking about the destination, the promised land, right? And yet, I think God's looking at this, and I look at this, and I think what God must be telling them is, hey, the journey is super important. It's like, it's like life, Right? Our life is the same way. Sometimes we're so focused on the destination of where we're going, we miss the journey. We miss like how we're supposed to spend this journey is the whole purpose sometimes of our life. But you, when you read Genesis, it sort of like jumps out at you. Like, hey, you know, their lives weren't wasted. They were being, their faith was being emboldened. They were being challenged and they were growing closer to God because of that journey. It wasn't like, God, could God just have taken the promised land like in a month? Yeah. But why? It was the journey. So that's all like the first five books. And, and, and it's a really, it's fascinating. Again, it's, it's going to, I think, download to us, you know, the owner's manual for humanity. It'll tell you a lot about your own character, our society, when you go through these five books and the stories there. Then the next 12 books, this is after Moses died. We get to read about what happened to God's people, right, in these books. And you'll see that God's instructing and guiding his people. And when they obey him, miracles start to happen. And when they don't obey him, bad things happen, right? We'll see that the people uh, get their first king, this guy Saul. And then you'll see this, the, the beloved one, the King David, right? But you'll see even these kings are human and they falter. And they make mistakes, right? And God gets really upset with them. And sometimes when we read it, we're like, man, what's wrong with these kings? You know, and if I mark it, Pastor Mark and I were just talking this morning before a sermon, like we think about our politicians sometimes in the same way. And we think about the choices we have for the president of the United States. And we're like, what? You know? Like we're picking the better of two evils here, you know? But how does God want us to view our leaders? They're human, right? How are we, what, through what lens are we supposed to look at them? What would happen if we looked at them as moral human beings, fault, 
fault-ridden, but are, what, what's their moral compass? Will that guide us in a better way than what we're doing today? Rather than saying, hmm, you know, this person is taller, they look like a leader, they have more presence, uh, you know, they just look like a king. That's Saul. Or you look at the one who's like shepherd, smallest of the brothers, little ruddy guy, you know, not sure about him, that's David. Turned out to be uh, kind of a better thing. We also learn in these 12 books that God uses women in, for profound change. Now, now, you got to think about this for a minute, right? That if you think that we still struggle with women getting the respect that they deserve, especially in certain countries of this world, right? Uh, think about way back then, thousands of years ago, and for God to use mighty women to carry out his purpose, pretty radical. We learn about Ruth and Rahab and Esther, that God used women in great positions of authority for the, such a time as this, right? To go do his bidding. Huge. That's what we learn. We learn about Job. Now, I got to tell you, the book of Job is one of those books that still, to, to this day, boggles my mind, okay? <laughs> because here's a guy who loves the Lord, he's a servant of the Lord, and all this bad stuff happens to him. And I think, why? Why, right? And then it says that, you know, maybe at the end, you know, no matter what happens to Job, he still trusts in God. And so maybe for us, I think maybe no matter what we go through, and we always go through some rough time in our lives. There's a calamity, there, there's something going on that we know we can continue to trust God no matter what. And, and, and that is what Job means to me. Is it still an easy book for me personally? No. But it is a, a stark reminder that remember now, God chose this book to be in the Bible for a reason. And I think one of those reasons is it reminds us, no matter how jammed up your life is, God not going to forsake you. He's there. He's there. Then we get to the book of Psalms, right? And the book of Psalms is uh, a collection like poetry, you know, it's like singing praises to God. And why would this book be in here? And I think a big reason why Psalms is in there is because it tells you how important it is to worship God. It's when we come to uh, service on Sundays, you know, sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap that the singing portion is warm up for the main event, right? Like we're really going for the lecture, <laughs> right? Or we're going for the message or the sermon. And then the, the worship portion is just like, ah, oh, okay, it's, it's, the, it's the warm up, it's the, it's the pre-event, you know, pre so to speak, the opening act, right? It's not, right? It is not the opening act. It's not the warm up. It's super important. It is just as important as the message because God is showing us, I think, through Psalms, hey, here's a way to reconnect with me. Following Psalms, we get into 31 really interesting uh, chapters in the book of Proverbs, written by King Solomon. King Solomon, as we know, is one of the wisest guys in, you know, ever, right? And we already know that the story through Solomon is when God said, you know what, you know what you want, and he could have asked for anything, power, money. He just says, I want wisdom to govern your people well. 
And God was so pleased, he gives Solomon wisdom, but he also gives him wealth and he gives him power and all this stuff. And in Proverbs, we have such wise you know, sayings that can help our lives, right? It's so tempting if you're not really thinking of this as the word of God to think like, oh yeah, that, that's like Confucius or that's like Aristotle or Plato or even Yoda, right? But it is so much better, so much better. Right? You move on into like Ecclesiastes, right? And you see how it's, it's not just about like being happy. Sometimes you talk to friends who maybe are not quite, you know, got their life quite in the right direction. They're not, you know, not, it's just they're, they're kind of running after the different wrong things in some ways. And they think like the purpose of life is just to be happy. I just want to be happy. Right? And I think, cannot be. Right? They just, I just want my kids to be happy. I just want everybody to be happy. And, and so what they do, the trap that leads you to, is I think it leads you to the path of saying, well, then what makes me happy? Well, maybe if I get this job and make this much money, then I can accumulate wealth of this world to make me happy. And what happens is they're never happy. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who's the richest guy in the world, says, that's right. Accumulating things of this world is not going to make you happy. In fact, it's not going to even give you meaning. And he says that you can't find happiness um, by just chasing and amassing things in this world. But he says the only way you're going to find true fulfillment and purpose is in God and in relationship with the Lord. Because I'll tell you this, if happiness was your main goal in life, right? And you can tell this to your friends, I think, who says, like, it's just to be happy. I just want my family to be happy. Isn't it the main purpose of life? Good that you go to church because that makes you happy. If, if happiness was the main purpose... Then I think if you push it to its end, all you should probably do is spend all your money in finding the drug of your choice, getting high, overdosing until you die, because you know what? You can die happy. And then you, but you think back, it's like, what? That cannot be the purpose of life. But if you take that, that, that theory to its logical conclusion, that's what you should do. Skip all the other stuff, right? Cannot be. Song of Songs is one of those, those books in the Bible we don't talk much about, I think. We don't put it on the, on the charts here because it's the book that might make you blush. Okay? Like, Ooh, what's that one? What's that one, right? Pretty, got some good imagery in this one, right? About like love, two lovers and their physical attraction and their love for each other. Kind of steamy, okay? Kind of steamy. So I know, you, like, you know some of you blushing already. Take it easy. But why is it here? I, I think part of it is, hey, the series we talk about, you know, real life. The Bible is real. This is how God's designed us, right? He's designed us as human beings, yeah? There's physical attraction. It's important. It's part of it. Human sexuality, it's part of it, right? So God's not going to step back and say, like, oh, I'm going to just do all this other stuff, you know. Hey, we Christians, we're just going to drink water at the party, you know. There's real stuff going on, right? It's how we're designed. It's like, again, in the owner's manual, could the owner leave out a chapter on changing oil? Because it's too messy. That'd be nuts. God doesn't leave out something like that either. So sexuality is there. The physical, physicality of who we are, right? Uh, comprehensive view of humanity okay then we get to the prophets there's these major prophets and then the minor prophets it's not because one's more important but the major prophets are the ones that we they wrote down more of of what they were saying 
So we get prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, which we spent a lot of time last year about, right? And, and these prophets, God uses to speak to his people, right? He keeps reconnecting, trying to reconnect with people, and he starts speaking through them. And, and about these prophets, they're, they're there to guide us, to instruct us. And we got to, I think, read them uh, with a sense of reverence that this is the word of God and not read them like a fortune cookie where it's entertainment. When we, when we look at Jeremiah, I think there's this principle of accountability that runs throughout Jeremiah. That God will hold you accountable. He holds us all accountable. And yet, we, we see that there's accountability, but there's also the power of repentance. And sometimes we miss this one, I think, you know, because we will always fall short of God's perfect desire for us. And how we respond is super important. And one of the most powerful things we can do when we find ourselves sinning and screwing up, and oh, we, we can easily get down on ourselves. And the enemy would want nothing better than say, you're no good, you shouldn't go to church, you're a hypocrite, you're junk, don't, don't even bother, you know. No, that, those are all lies. Instead, there's this power of repentance that you say, God, I messed up. I need you. And what happens with repentance and true, sincere repentance, what Jeremiah will show us is that mercy, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and God's grace get unlocked and whoop, go right into your life when you repent. And when that happens, then there is there's restoration in your life and then there becomes renewal of your life. It's like a rebirth. But it doesn't happen unless you practice the power of repentance. And that's what the prophet is, is telling us. In Ezekiel, he is the visionary guy. Literally, right? Sees these visions. And, and there's this judgment that he speaks about as well. But it's still a loving and faithful God who never leaves us even when there's moral decay. Daniel, we've spoken about Daniel a lot last year, uh, so I won't go into too much, but one of the things I take away from Daniel is that there's always societal pressure in our lives to do other, other than what God wants to do, and Daniel shows us how to stand firm and honor God in spite of all the societal pressures. There's 12 shorter books that follow that of the minor prophets like Hosea. And what, what I really like about Hosea is, to me, it's a, it's a book of uh, un, a, a illustration of unconditional love. If you want to see unconditional love, look at Hosea, the wife Gomer, and, and the, the symbolism of what that is for unconditional love. Unbelievable. And then you get Joel and Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Zeph- Zephan. I can't even read my handwriting here. Zephaniali. What? Zephaniah. And, and God's judgment when people disobey him. Crazy, right? And then Jonah. I think we tell the kids, Jonah the whale, Jonah the big fish. Hey, you can't outrun God. You can't hide from God. He says, obey me. Just easier just to obey God the first time. How about Habakkuk? Like, what? That's in the Bible? Yeah. What I take away from this is 
This is, this is a fascinating book, by the way, right? It's a dialogue, Habakkuk between Habakkuk and God, right? He says, God, how come this? How come that? You know? Don't we all do that? We have an honest dialogue with God, like, God, why is the world like this? Seems wrong, man, you know? That's what you're going to read there in Habakkuk. And then you're going to get that takeaway from me is, but God always takes the long-term view. We see this much and we go like, I don't get it. God says, it's this view. You're like, oh, okay. Habakkuk. Then you get to the prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, you know, a lot about rebuilding and renewal, right? They, they were there at a time when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Very symbolic for spiritual rebuilding, renewal too. And then Malachi. Last book, Malachi. What I love about Malachi, you, you guys, is it's to me the book that goes, it's either you all in or else. Okay? One of the big pieces of Malachi is tithing. Oh, shoot. Okay? Like you get through finances. You, you want to talk about something that starts to get people a little nervous, right? Try talking to friends outside of church about tithing and finances. You're like, what are you guys doing over there, right? Two, two real important principles come out of this, right? One, the first 10%. This is not net. This is not like after everything's done. This is your first 10%. That's pretty tough to do. The second thing is 10% is pretty tough to do, right? You're like, wait, wait, what, what is God telling me here? First 10% of what I harvest, of my income, goes to the Lord. You want to talk about something pretty hard to do, right? But you want to talk about something that's going to challenge your faith. Really test for you, who are you trusting? Do you really trust God? Go read Malachi. I, I, I we used to teach a pre-marriage class, and uh, we should probably continue that at some point, but what we... Uh, what we used to tell people is, hey, you want to know where your heart is? Yeah? If, you, if you're one of those people that still keep a checkbook or you want to look at your credit card statements even, you want to know where your heart is, go look where your money goes. Go look where you write your checks. Go look at your credit card statements. And where, where did your money go? I, I think you can follow your heart by where your money goes. Okay? But read Malachi. It's going to be one of those last book in the Old Testament. It's a big like, ooh, you know? Like, it's going to be convicting, okay? But... Try. So that's the Old Testament. 39 books, right? Awesome stuff. Then you get to the New Testament, and then you get the Gospels, okay? You get four of them, right? We know this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to tell you this. This is going to sound really corny, but you know me already. It's corny, Dave. Anyway, so, but I kind of look at it like how I, when I first saw the movie Matrix, I, didn't, I never knew what this was, Okay. And if you ever saw the movie Matrix, hopefully you did. If you didn't, I'll explain a little bit to you. There's this character Trinity. In the opening scene, you know, the police are coming up, and this, this Trinity person jumps in the air, and it's like, Vroom! and then like, there's this like 4D view, almost like, the, like it shows different perspectives of Trinity. And I remember going like, I've never seen this before. This is awesome, right? <laughs> the camera angles had never been done that way before, Right? Okay, so what does it have to do with the Gospels, right? I look at the Gospels as like the four-dimensional view of Jesus. Matthew had a perspective. Mark had a perspective, right? Luke and John, they all had facets of Jesus. Jesus was such an amazing person when he was here on earth. You get to see different 
him through different lenses in a way. Just like you saw Trinity, like, whoa, 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 you know? So it's the same way, okay? Matthew, okay, the distinctive characteristic is that like all the Gospels reference the Old Testament, Matthew references it the most because he's trying to tell people, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah that's been talked about in the Old Testament, right? He connects it. So people might be like, Old Testament, New Testament, two different. No, read Matthew. He's like, it's, it's all what God's been talking about way before you guys. Here's Jesus, right? Um, when you read Mark, written by John Mark, okay, um, he was known to be someone who was really close with the Apostle Peter. Okay, so he kind of got all the inside scoops, right? But what Mark looked, when, I, when you read Mark, what it's like is it's a very simple, succinct book. It, it, it's almost as if he focused to me more on the, what Jesus did more than what Jesus said. So if you're one of those people like, hey, I want to, you know, I call it the, sort of the action gospel, right? So like, you want to see what Jesus did and you, you can see him walking to talk and you want to learn by his actions, Mark is the gospel that you're going you're gonna to see that through that lens, you know, like, wow, look at all the stuff Jesus did, you know? Um, we talked a little bit about Luke already. He's the physician. He's like the historian gospel writer guy, right? But Luke, he was, they, they think he was like a Gentile, right? So his emphasis is going to be how, hey, you know what, Jesus is for everybody. It's not just for the Jews. He's for everybody. He has a plan for the Jews and the Gentiles, Right? So it's going to speak to people who are like, hey, but you know, I'm not a Jewish person, so this is not for me. Luke's like, hey, it's the whole world, right? There's an emphasis on prayer. He, 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 he shows the concern that Jesus had for women, for the poor people, for sinners, and for the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then my personal favorite gospel is John. And I think I've said this before. Why do I like John so much? Now, one, I mean, it's funny because they go... John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? So I think like, what? Well, so he never loved everybody else, you know? But it tells you how close he was with the Lord Jesus. He's also the guy, you know, when Jesus is on the cross, ready to die, he's the guy who Jesus says, take care of my mom. Give you a sense of how close this guy was to Jesus, right? What I really love about John, my personal you know, favorite gospel, is that I really felt that he took a lot of time to share with us the character of Jesus. And my favorite book in all of the Bible is John chapter 17 because it was in that, for me personally, when I read John chapter 17 is when I felt like, oh, I get it. You know, I was the guy, I was an agnostic, remember? And I, and I remember going, I get this God guy, but I don't know who this Jesus person is. And when I read John chapter 17, it was like, I was like, oh, this Jesus guy is like the God, so, so he, he must be God. It's the character. And so you look at all of the Gospels, and I'll steal a word from Josh, my son, who's nine, right? This is so ingenious, you know, that God would use the four books and four authors to kind of give us different facets of Jesus. And he knew that it would speak to us differently and provide us a different lens to see it completely, to see the whole picture of who Jesus is. Then there's the book of Acts, okay, written by Luke, right, the detail-oriented guy. And I think of Acts as sort of like if, if the book of Luke is part one, right, Acts is like part two, right? We start to learn about the first church, 
And this is so important to us in today, 2016, is because it helps us to look back in the book of Acts and say, like, so, yeah, how did God move in the first church, right? These guys never had the, the Bible as we know it today. They never had, like, this kind, what we have today. So we can learn a lot about how we're supposed to live our lives by looking at that first church. Then after that, we got 13 books written by Paul. Sometimes they call this the Pauline epistles. And what these are is Paul wrote letters to various churches wherever he went, right? So he'll write letters to, to the folks who lived in Ephesus and Philippi, right, and Coloss. So you get Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? He wrote to people like Philemon, and he wrote to people like Titus and Timothy. And what you're seeing is, is, is like Paul just encouraging people and clarifying for people what it means to live a life following Christ. Amazing stuff. It's as if, you know, I think you could read these, these letters that Paul wrote, these 13 books, and you could also call them, this might, this, I hope it's not heretical, okay, Mark, but it's also you can call them like, you know, the Kakaakoans, you know? Like he's like, for the church in Kakaako, here's some stuff you guys got to know. Because that's how I read this stuff. It's like, it's so relevant today. You read this stuff. He might be writing to the Philippians, but man, I'm like, yeah, that's us, right? He might be writing to the Romans, or yeah, that's us. Then after the Paul's letters, there's like these general letters, like there's the Hebrews, right? Uh, and then in Hebrews, they just say, hey, you know what? The Jewish guys, you know, they, they were conflicted. They're like, do I still got to follow all these Jewish laws? And then the Jesus, and how do I reconcile it? And then Hebrews are like, hey, you know what? You don't need, all you need is Jesus, okay? You don't need all that other stuff. So it clarified it for them. And then you get the book of James. And in the book of James, now we know that James is Jesus' brother, right? And he focuses on how to live a Christ-centered life. Then you get Peter. We know the apostle Peter, right? He was with Jesus. And he writes 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And what he's talking about here is how to persevere. How to persevere, hold fast to the truth. Because guess what? Peter was one of those guys who was getting pounded, right? Which we will and we do get. When, so when you tell somebody, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, guess what's going to happen? Some of my favorite passages come out of 1 Peter chapter 3, Right? Uh, I'll share a couple of them with you. I know we've got some time here. So in, in verse 7, chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, uh, I love it where it says that the husbands, okay, husbands out there, you're to respect your wives so that your prayers are not hindered. Think about that for a minute, right? If you don't respect your wives, hey, man, your prayer's going to be hindered. So guess what you got to take care of first? Respect your wives. The other thing is in verse 15, this is awesome. 1 Peter 3, 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, I think of Peter, the fisherman guy, was probably not trained in public speaking, right? But what he's telling us, like us, like, I'm not, I'm not trained in public speaking. I don't know if I can go out there and, and tell people stuff about Jesus, right? It's uncomfortable, but he says, hey, just be prepared. The time going to come, and when that time comes, you go and do it. And, but then do it with gentleness and respect. And as I was doing this, I was thinking about it. Should I go to Fort Street Mall? And there's that dude on Fort Street Mall right outside of Fisher, if you guys have been there. You know that dude, right? 
I'm like, I wonder if I should slip this guy 1 Peter 3.15 and just like, hey, brother, I don't know. I don't know if that's gentle or respectful, but, I, but I'm trying to say, how do we be gentle and respectful and yet be a good witness and give good testimony to the reason we, why we believe that there's hope in this guy Jesus, right? Now, Apostle John has you know, three more books, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and he talks about false teachings, keeping with the faith. He's warning his followers. He's thanking them. And then there's the, the book of Jude, another brother of Jesus, right? And this is an interesting one because what he's speaking to is people sometimes are thinking, well, you know, if God forgives my sins and, uh, and it's all good, then does that give me a license to sin? Like, I can go nuts and be like, ah, God will forgive me anyway. Read Jude. Because he says, that is nothing close to the truth. Does not give you a license to sin. And then the, the Bible closes with probably one of the most challenging books, which is the book of Revelation, right? And it's written by John. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus reveals to John the future. And anytime there's a book about the future, it is always confusing because it's not here. We don't quite know what it looks like. Like, just like I think about, like, in, when the prophets wrote about what the future was going to be, people in that day and age were like, what? I don't get what you're saying. Revelation is like that. But what we see in Revelation is the day when unrepentant sinners are punished and the followers of Christ are reu- reunited with Jesus. And we see the, this ultimate showdown between God and Satan, and then God wins. And then we see, and it tells us that Christ will return, and then there's victory, and then the wicked people are destroyed forever. So there you have it, okay? So there, there's the 50,000 foot through the forest, kind of day's view. Hopefully it's given you some context for what we're going to be going through these next couple of years. Uh, and when you, when you hear the stories, um, it, you can place it in these themes that you're going to see. And hope, hopefully you've got the bookmark that's out there on the table if you don't, and you're just going through and reading the Bible for yourself. Because like I said, you don't want to ever read like this. You want to read with a big 50,000-foot view. And finally, I'd like to leave you with an interesting and what I think is a very kind of beautiful tidbit about the Bible. When you open your Bible, it starts with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At the end of the Bible, it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. And I think about it, and I say, what a great way to start and end his word. He created everything, and then it's the grace of the Lord Jesus that that is with us, God's people, amen. And so my hope for you today is that, and my prayer, is that we would fully commit ourselves to the beginning and the end and everything in between. And that you would get as excited about what we're going to be doing here and reading through the Bible as I am. And you'd be going to encourage that, like, this is going to be awesome. That expect that God's going to speak to us and that things are going to jump off the page. And that you won't be someone uh, that would only come to Sunday service and just be like, okay, I got my, daily, my weekly dose of God, I got a couple passages here and there, but you would read and you would just like breathe it in and let the Bible change your life, right? Why don't you stand with me, we'll close this morning. All right, um, you just bow your heads in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, that you love us so much that we have the Bible. That you didn't just leave us to kind of figure things out, you know, willy-nilly, and certainly not trust on each other, fallen human beings, but you've given us the roadmap, you've given us the owner's manual, and you've given us Jesus, who we can see in four dimensions and be like, okay. So we thank you and I pray, Father God, that, and Holy Spirit, that, that every single person here would just be infused with your word, a love for your word, and know that it's way more than like the pieces of paper and cookies or, or like these quips of wisdom that come from who knows where, but that this is your word. You are the creator. And you're going to speak into our lives because, Lord, we know that you only want what's best for us. And may we honor you. May we make you smile. And may we reconnect with you. That we call you Father, Abba, and we call you friend. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You have a great week. Read the Bible. And uh, we'll see you next week.